All right, let's do this. We're going live in five, four, three. Oh my, just so many business podcasts out there. How can I possibly know where to begin? Here at Intrepid Business, we are about stripping away all of the usual boring fluff and instead focus on showcasing real people doing real business, achieving amazing things. The ones truly changing the world, the instigators making a dent, the people changing how we do sales and marketing, leading innovation, the people redefining leadership. But who are these people? Why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Find out on Intrepid Business. And now, here are your hosts. Good morning, and welcome back to Intrepid Business. I am your host, Todd Schnick. You know, it's going to be a really, really interesting conversation today. It's a subject matter that is of grave importance to the business market, and it's a conversation that I don't have enough on this show. So really looking forward to this conversation. Say hello to my guest. His name is Tim Kiningham. He's the Global Chief Strategy Officer with Ipsos Loyalty and the author of a great new book, The Wallet Allocation Rule. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Todd. I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, pleasure's mine. Thanks for carving out some very valuable minutes to join me and share uh, great insights from this book of yours. I'm looking forward to diving into it. Before we do get into the book, Tim, do take a few quick seconds and inform the audience a bit about you and your background. Well, I, I have spent the last 20 years of my life trying to uh, work on improving customer loyalty. Basically, I wanted to find a way to do show businesses how they could win by doing the right thing for their customer. And that's led me down a path, though, that wasn't as easy as I thought it would be because most of the things I thought were true and most of the things we actually think are true turned out to be myths. And so I've spent the last 20 years trying to uncover those myths so that we can actually do the right thing. And ultimately, it's culminated in this book, The Wallet Allocation Rule, which I'm very proud of and took way too long to write. <laughs> well, Tim, I, I'm not picking on you because I ask this question of most of my business authors. But did the world need another book about customer loyalty and how to interact with and how to achieve customer loyalty? Why, why is The Wallet Allocation Rule a bit different? It's very different because... If uh, most of the things you believe about how loyalty builds and how it relates to customer spending and market share is, is so wrong that it's almost useless, and it, which is a big deal for me because many of the things that we had said in the past even, and you, you look at the scientific literature and you look at the business press, and it makes this kind of simple linear relationship. I improve the customer experience, I make the customer happier, and then they spend more with me and I grow market share, which is so wrong that it's hard to imagine. And it, you know, it, it, it's, it disturbed me, actually. It was one of those things that made me think, I've spent my whole life doing the wrong thing. Because you, I got into this in kind of a passionate way. I, I wanted to, uh, I picked this side of the business specifically because it, it kind of my dream of what we're, what we're all supposed to be about, you know, basically make the golden rule work and so that everyone wins. It turns out that there is a way to make it work for everyone. It's just not the way we're doing it. So 
I don't know if you want me to dive into some of well, those I, issues. Well, I just I hear you say that that model that you just explained is wrong. It doesn't sound wrong to me. Help me understand why. I mean, firms are obsessed about customer satisfaction and all this work and trying to improve that and, and increase their scores, things like the net, the net promoter score. But you say this is wrong. Help me understand that because it, it baffles me. Okay. Well, there's really three fundamental problems that businesses have linking to business outcomes. Using customer satisfaction or net promoter score, any of those derivatives that are designed to tell you how loyal or how, how strongly they, a customer feels toward your firm or brand. And the first one is pretty obvious, and that is we can spend a lot of money delighting customers and not making it back. We, we call those money-losing delighters. And that happens all the time, by the way. You know, people go, oh, yeah, well, that doesn't really happen. Of course it happens. We did a case study on Groupon with Sunil Gupp, the head of the marketing faculty at Harvard, and Ray Weaver, who was one of the operations faculty there. And so we, we, we looked at how merchants fared with their Groupon deals. And so we looked and said, what's the relationship between customer satisfaction and profitability to the merchant for these different offers? And it turns out that the highest satisfaction offerings at Groupon are huge money losers for the merchant. And I don't mean money losers on the initial purchase. I mean, that, that's guaranteed to happen because it's, it's a deep discount to drive you to the, to the location. But over their lifetime value, they, they're not making money. And you kept, we started looking, and there's a great case called Home Bank. It's a southern uh, mortgage lender, at least it used to be. They had the highest net promoter score in the world. They had an 80, and the average was three. So they were such a big deal that they made it into the first book that introduced the, uh, the net promoter score, score called The Ultimate Question by Fred Reichel. And so when that book came out, you know, they were touted as being this really awesome bank or mortgage bank, and they were losing money hand over fist. They were bankrupt within one year of that book being released. They actually disappeared. And it's not like that. It's not like that that, that doesn't happen all the time. The first small business that ever won the Malcolm Baldridge Quality Award they went bankrupt. They were out of business. They were out of business within a year of winning that award. It's always easy to make people happy if you give your product away, but you won't stay in business very long. So, let, But let's take that one out. Let's assume that we're not going to overspend and, and we're going we're to try to make this work. Most people think that higher satisfaction scores correspond to higher market share. I'm, I'm sure that's what that they're teaching in business schools right now. And I'm sure that that's what most managers believe. The reality is it's exactly the opposite. Higher market shares almost always correspond to lower satisfaction scores. And if you doubt that, you know, ask yourself who the big players are. Walmart's the big player in discount retail. They dominate. But they have lower scores than everybody. I mean everybody, including Target, including JCPenney, whatever. Whatever the category they're in, their satisfaction scores are lower. You look at the burger chains out there. McDonald's has the highest market share, and 18 out of or 17 out of the last 18 years that the American customer satisfaction score has been measured, they've had the lowest satisfaction level in their industry. MetLife is the largest insurance carrier in 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 the uh, in the world, and they have the lowest satisfaction of all life insurance carriers. They're tracked by the American Customer Satisfaction Index. 
In fact, it's, it's one of these things that stares us in the face all the time, but we ignore it. And there's real scientific research on this that proves it. There was a big study that came out in 2013 in the Journal of Marketing where they looked at, oh, I don't know, maybe 15 years of the American Customer Satisfaction Index and its relationship to market share. And what they found was that market share is a strong, strongly negatively correlated to satisfaction. And if you think about it, it makes total sense. Because if you're a big company, you have to get a lot of people under your tent that may or may not get exactly what they want. Whereas if you're a niche player, you're targeting a very narrow group of customers that have very similar needs and wants. So you can give them pretty much exactly what they want. So by going to the smaller niche, make them happier, but the very fact that they're smaller keeps you smaller. So let's go back to your burger chains. If you go to Smash Burger or Five Guys, you get a much better burger and you are much happier. But the menu is very limited and it's also not nearly as healthy, believe it or not, as going to McDonald's. You know, it's called Smash Burger because they smash it into butter. It's a great burger, but they're appealing to a smaller audience. You go there and you say, I know I'm going to be eating less healthy, but I'm going to get better flavor. But that's not going to appeal to the mass market. It's uh, going to appeal to a narrower niche that's willing to give up that health part to get exactly what they want. So if, if McDonald's wants to have the same satisfaction scores as a Smash Burger or a, a Five Guys, they have to basically decide they're going to shrink their company and offer a more limited menu that, that basically targets exactly what a narrow group of customers want. And that's a terrible strategy. And so... You have to think about what kind of brand are you. If you're a mass market brand, you're not going to be the high sat brand. You're going to be the lower sat brand. If you're going to be a niche brand, of course you have to have higher sat. If you don't have higher sat, there's no reason for them to go to you. And so that relationship is off kilter. But the absolute worst problem, absolute worst problem, is that knowing your satisfaction level tells almost nothing about how you divide your spending among the brands you use in a category. And when I say almost nothing, yes, there's a statistically significant positive relationship. But that relationship actually explains only 1% of the variation in customer share spending. Meaning 99% of what's going on and how customers divide their spending is completely unexplained by the metric you're tracking. And so if you actually want to grow customer share wallet with you, you have to first make sure the metric you're tracking actually has a strong relationship to it. And that's what led to the wallet allocation rule. I mean, we actually discovered a very simple way that you can transform these satisfaction and a promoter metrics into something that actually strongly links to share of wallet. And that's really the most important measure of, uh, uh, of the way customers behave to let you know their real loyalty to you. I mean, people are more loyal to the brands they give the highest percentage of their category spending to. That's just how it works. So you have to make sure these measures, measures are uh, uh, strongly linked or you'll never identify correctly what you're supposed to do. Okay. Well, I need to go to commercial break because my head is about to explode. So Tim and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This program is brought to you by Miles Finch Innovation, LLC, a creative consultancy that is passionate about ideas, imagination, and facilitating a culture of innovation. Miles Finch Innovation helps companies navigate the messy territory of corporate innovation. 
They're strategic thinking partners who can help you get unstuck and identify creative solutions to your toughest challenges. They also love to train and speak on the subject of creative leadership. Learn more about how they can help you at milesfinchinnovation.com. Miles Finch Innovation, idea-centric, strategically driven, humanly conscious. I am back with Tim Kiningham, the author of The Wallet Allocation Rule. So, gosh, through that break, Tim, I was thinking to myself, um, what should an organization do? Should they just not worry about customer satisfaction? That was the question I was going to ask, but then you kind of turn it around to say, all right, I figured out how to do this right. Because it sounds like the, the biggest error most organizations are making is they're measuring the wrong metrics. So, so tell me about this wallet allocation rule. What is it? How does it work? Well, I, you know, when you said the satisfaction matter, of course satisfaction matters, right? We're not, and, and that's the hard part about it because we all, you know, when you think about it, we all spend more with places that we think do a better job for us. That's just how it works. So, the problem is in how is in how we measure and manage these metrics. Now, what we do when we think about satisfaction, the first thing we think is, well, what's your satisfaction score? And so, if I was to ask you how satisfied you are with this interview you know, on a scale of one to 10, you know, and I'm hoping you would say, well, Tim was a really good interview. I give him a nine. Okay. And, and so I go, wow, that's a really great score. I'm a nine. You know, Todd, Todd thinks I'm great. I'm a nine. It turns out though, Todd has, does a lot of interviews, right, Todd? And so some of the guys you, you interview get a 10 and nine is probably pretty typical. And then maybe a few get an eight. So basically I'm tied with everyone else and I'm not your favorite interview, and therefore the likelihood of you calling me back actually drops significantly because you're more likely to call the guy that you thought was your favorite or your best, and I may not be that person. And so what we found is the problem we have is that we, we don't put these measures in a competitive context. We don't look and say, well, our we don't think about our customers actually using multiple brands in the category, which is the case for almost everything we do anymore. I mean, uh, yeah, okay, we may only buy one car or some big durable item, but for most of the purchases we make, we actually use multiple brands to supply kind of the same needs. We shop at many different grocery stores to fulfill all our grocery shopping needs. We, you know, we, we buy toys for our kids at different stores, all that kind of stuff. And the, the problem with that is if we don't put it in a relative context, we end up deluding ourselves into thinking that we are awesome. When in fact we're probably just a parody brand, or we may even be tied, we may even be last place, you know. But but we've decided an arbitrary score matters. So what we what we found is it's not your score, it's your rank. You can't just ask yourself how am I doing. You want to know how am I doing, and how are all the other competitors doing for that customer in terms of if they use that brand, how satisfied are they with their that brand or. How likely are they to recommend it if you're using the net promoter system or whatever that measure is? Because basically you get the same answer either way. You know, as long as you're asking a question that, that reflects how strongly do I feel toward that brand or how positively I feel toward that brand, you end up getting basically the same answer. What you do is I, as I say, well, Todd rated me a 9. He rated the competitor, not the competitor, but another interviewee a 10. And so... And then one other person was a nine. So you've only had three interviews today. I'm a tied for last place, whereas this other person is first place. 
first place wins, first place gets higher share. And there's actually an amount of share that I can predict that you're going to give to that brand that got the 10 versus the other two that got the 9 if this was a product category. And it's a very simple mathematical formula. I'm not going to say it over the because any mathematical formula sounds complicated when you kind of say it. But if you look at it, you could be a sixth grader and do this one. And that was what was so great about it. We expected something really complicated with lots of Greek symbols in it if we were going to find anything. Mm-hmm. And instead, we found this very, very simple rule that said it's really a, the, the rank and the number of brands that the customer uses that determines the share of wallet that they're going to give to that brand. Well, help me understand what an organization does to get their head around this. And let's use, and maybe this is a bad example, and if so, tell me and let's, and, or give me a better one. But I'm thinking you mentioned grocery stores. I shop at a lot of different grocery stores. Uh, there are several around me, and frankly, mm-hmm. the one I choose is the one that's most convenient on the route I happen to be driving on. And so so there's that, right? So, and mm-hmm. then, so, but the grocery store itself says, okay, well, over Monday, we, we achieved our revenue goals, and so it was a good day. Our customers are obviously happy. And maybe I even completed a survey walking out the door that said, yeah, my experience here was a nine. But then I would do the exact same thing at the, at the, at the shop across the street and the one down the block. So all those stores are probably saying, all right, all the surveys are showing that we're doing good. People are happy with their experience here. And, 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 but, they're, but they're not thinking at all about whether I'm going to the Publix or the Kroger or the other store. I mean, I mean help me use that example of how I can do something with the wallet allocation rule to, to that- increase share. That's a great that's a great one because everybody knows what it's like to go shopping at a grocery store right or I hope so <laughs> and when you do a satisfaction survey and I just ask you how about my own experience what you basically get is when I try to find out what's causing you to come are the things that brought you to the store in the first place okay in your case it's convenience in this case but a lot of people convenience price certain types of selection of items all kinds of things end up affecting how people ultimately break out their shopping dollar for groceries. And so I'll give you a real example. It's going to be disguised, but it will show you how this works. We had a client that was a, one of these high ambiance, produce-friendly grocery stores, right? They had friendly employees. They also had great produce. And, you know, you came in and it wasn't, it wasn't your low-end kind of grocery store. Right, it, right. Wasn't, it wasn't super high-end, but, it was, uh, but they, had a, they had a niche that they were working well with. And so, the, but they also had three other main competitors in their target area. And one of them was a, an everyday low price competitor. And, and everyone should kind of know what you're talking about here when you think about that because Walmart sells 25% of the groceries in the United States right now. And Target has decided that they're going to increase their business by kind of going after the same market and, and expanding their grocery offering. That's the, that's the deal right now. And so that's a big competitor. It takes a huge chunk of, of, of people's business. And then there is the traditional grocery retailer. And, and we're all familiar with kind of getting the circulars where they have these ridiculously deep discounts on, on merchandise. And, but the idea is to drive foot traffic so that you end up buying other things at a more regular price and they make it up with the total market basket. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, but this, this, is, this is a retailer that was based in, uh, in er, largely in urban areas. And so they had another competitor that was densely packed, small stores, convenience was their driver. And the, so they weren't a price-driven competitor at all. Now, the funny thing is that they wanted us to tell them how to compete with the convenience store, right? Because they, weren't, they, they didn't have to worry about price then, and they knew that they were never going to match these everyday low-price competitors or these deep discounters. 
And when the first thing we say is there's not a chance that you're going to get to do that unless you're planning on building lots of little stores everywhere, which isn't what you do. And it's really expensive. And so you can do that, but you'll, you won't be able to do that in the short term. And you have to decide that you're really willing to invest to make that happen, which left them with the two price competitors. And they didn't like that at all because they knew they would never match that price. But the funny thing is when you're talking about share wallet, you're talking about people that already are coming to your store anyway. They're already in your store. They're coming to get the produce for sure. That's why, you know, that's, that's what, your, what your piece is. In fact, if you just did a driver's of satisfaction, you'd find out that, that the top three drivers were the things that, that you actually stand for. You know, the produce quality, the helpful employees, and the ambience of the store. It better be. That's exactly what you're offering. But doing more of that better isn't going to get your customer's dollar, get more of their dollar. They're spending it for other reasons at these other competitors. And so what we show them is the key isn't to match their price. The key is to get a relevant price. You get, so the first thing you, we do is we went in and we said, let's look and see what items that, that, that your customers are not putting in their basket that you know a typical customer would put in their basket. You know? And what they did was they looked and they found that it's all these staple goods. And the, the things where, where branding is less important and it has longer shelf life. So, so think, wheat, think flour and sugar and, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. And they were like, well, we'll never match the price on that. I'm like, the, the idea is not to match the price. The idea is to get a relevant price. So it, you know, it's not worth it to get in the car and drive to another store, go through the pain of going through that store again, loading up and putting it in your car and going home. You know, the most valuable resource your customer has is their time. They want you to find a way to reduce their, their, the time that they have because people that rarely go, you know, grocery shopping. That is what I've been looking forward to all week long. <laughs> all right. And so they lowered the price on these goods to a relevant price. They didn't match their main competitor. But what they found was that they were getting more in their basket and they shift like 6% of their customers from, from to, to first place, from second place, which was for them was huge because they ended up with hundreds of millions of dollars coming back, mm. you know. And – it's, but, but it requires thinking about things differently because if you're, if you're wanting to use satisfaction or net promoter or whatever it is you're measuring, you have to put it in a relative context. And in the end, you have to find a way to reduce your customer's perceived need to use the competition. Because if you don't do that, all you do is make them happier, cost yourself more money, but they still, you still haven't answered the need that they have to go somewhere else. And if you don't do that, you can never make your money back. Tim, like like me, I imagine many in my audience are are just having a hard time wrapping their head around this entirely new way of thinking about customer satisfaction. Sadly, we're we're, we're low on time, so let's close with this. What so so someone's listening to this and they say, okay, I, we are we are victims of this of this wrong thinking, and we're not thinking of things in the relative context. We're doing it wrong. What are the initial key questions? that they need to ask themselves and understand so that they can turn this around and using the wild allocation rule, do it right. Yeah. Well, the first thing is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not saying treat your customers badly and customer satisfaction doesn't matter. Of course it does. But what we are saying is if you're already doing these measurements, you don't have to put a whole lot more in. You just have to ask a few more questions. And, by the way, everything we say is public domain. It's in the book. In fact, we want people to do this. We even have a quick start guide on our website that they can download. Literally, very easy to go through and say, you know, 
here's what I need to do right now. Our website is WalletRule.com, and it's on the resources section. You can easily do this. But, but make sure that you put everything in a competitive context. Make sure you ask, you know, what is the deciding reason that you pick one brand versus another? You know, I go to this brand. I, I use this brand when I, and then basically make the customer answer that question. So that you have some sense of why you're winning and why you're losing. Because if you don't know why you're losing, you can never fix it. Uh, and and you can't, you've got to stop deluding yourself that you know, just looking inward will be enough. It's rarely that. But keep measuring, asking, you know, ask the right questions. You can still, it's still basically the same question. We're not saying you, that you can't do this with satisfaction or net promoter. It doesn't matter which measure you use to, to determine rank as long as you get the competitors that the customer uses rated. And it becomes very, very simple. I mean, if it was hard, no one would do it. That was our, that was our big discovery in life. You know, people don't want to do the difficult stuff because they can't internalize it. You know, if it's a complicated model that looks like quantum physics, you can't explain it, you can't feel comfortable about it. But here you really just want to, want to get everyone on board on one thing. What percentage of my customers truly consider me or my brand first choice? Not tied for first, but truly, you know, I'm their preferred provider. I'm not tied with anyone else. And that's not very hard to do because all I have to do is ask them to, to give satisfaction levels for each of the brands they actually use and then understand why they use the competition. And then I try to minimize the reasons that they do use the competition. Tim, uh, my short time span on this interview is just not going to do justice to this this really critically important conversation. Uh, sadly, we're out of time. Might have to get you back on the show to, to dive into this a little bit further. But for today, before I let you go, how can people get in touch with you? Should they have questions and where can they get their hands on the wallet allocation rule? Well, the wallet allocation rule should be available in any bookstore that you have, but it's definitely available in all the online bookstores, Amazon. BarnesandNoble.com, Books a Million, and if you want to buy in bulk, which is always welcome, <laughs> 800 CEO read. <laughs> and, and if you want to reach me, I'm really easy. We have a, at the WalletRule.com website, there is a contact us piece. Just go there because I don't want you to have to write down a big email. But just go to WalletRule.com, and then there's a section that says contact us. And I promise you, we write back. We've already had lots of people doing it, you know, from all over. And I think they were surprised that we actually write personal emails back asking, answering very specific questions. Good stuff. Well, we'll certainly link up to that as well as that quick start guide. Tim, real pleasure. I do hope you'll come back. We have a lot more to discuss, but I appreciate you making time to join me today. Todd, I really do appreciate this. Thanks so much. Yeah, the pleasure is mine. All right. Well, that was Tim Kiningham, Global Chief Strategy Officer with Ipsos Loyalty and the author of The Wallet Allocation Rule. Tim, once again, great to have you. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you. All right. Well, that wraps this broadcast. Again, on behalf of my guest, Tim Kiningham, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Business.